Good day, Toronto. And on this month's podcast, I brought on my accountant, uh, Pierre Samps. You'll hear me call him PV throughout the entire conversation, so don't be confused. Um, but he's been managing a lot of our clients and my own portfolio and the company for some time. And we also, like I and my team, also get a lot of questions about, you know, tax reasons, optimizations, and efficiencies. So I figured um, we try to schedule something a few times, but like brought them on eventually. That's why this month's podcast is a little bit late. Um, but we'll be talking about how to optimize your if portfolio for taxes, you know, the infamous question of whether you should be incorporating or not. Then we talk about the uh, three-tiered structure that a lot of people have set up for those who plan to hold real estate for a long time. They also dabble into kind of like what kind of investment strategies him and his partners are doing right now, some of one of the things that we're doing, what we're seeing. On top of that, we also get into like questions that some of my clients have asked about like capital gains, how to pick an accountant when you're retiring. And then, you know, we go on for a little bit awful of a tangent about why RRSPs are actually a scam. Although we think it was a hot take, but I think it turns out it wasn't that much of a hot take between us, right? So we kind of chit chat a lot of things about just generally like, you know, uh, life experience, uh, real estate investing experience, and just how we're looking at the real estate investing landscape as like a investor and accountant, but also investors uh, ourselves. Right. So um, hope you guys enjoy this conversation. And if you guys have any questions for us, you can uh, reach out to me using the chat. Uh, sorry, the link on the chat below, which is www.chabzan.com. Or if you're looking for a PV, I'll also put his link for contact in the description. Or if you're listening to this via podcast, it'll be in the description. Okay, so hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Enjoy. See ya. Good day, Toronto. Welcome to another episode of the Prime Properties TO podcast. I'm blessed to have my personal accountant on my podcast. <laughs> finally, we got Pierre Samp here. I want to say hi to everybody. Hey, Zen. Thanks for having me on the podcast, man. Looking forward to chatting. No, for sure. Thank you for being busy and coming on to the podcast. Yeah, yeah we've had a lot of people asking me a lot about like, uh, accountant questions in regards to real estate investing. And I always sound like, look, I'm not an accountant. I have a really good one. And this yeah. is what he's taught me so far, but don't take yeah. it verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into this very niche specific real estate investor kind of accounting? Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. It's definitely a journey. So, you know, initially, like uh, most traditional accountants, I went down the CPACA route yeah. and I uh, started off at a big four accounting firm, was working my way up there and, uh, you know, ran into the challenge of I'm working these crazy hours. This doesn't seem to be the way that I'm going to be able to build wealth. So how do I actually make some serious money? And that's how I found real estate investing just personally. So, you know, I started doing some research, attending networking events and became a real estate investor myself, started yeah. investing in properties, learned the birth strategy, did a lot of networking. And the next thing you know, uh, you know, me and a good, my partner actually at the firm are buying a bunch of investment properties in London, Ontario, uh, eventually training up into the multifamily space and building a solid portfolio as real estate investors. So how the accounting side fit in is, again, we were always very entrepreneurial people and uh, we wanted to start our own business. Naturally, an accounting firm was an easy transition for us and something that we understood. And, you know, we had the skills that we built up and uh, we decided to start an accounting practice. Funny enough, initially, we were in the tech startup space. So we had worked with some startups during our time at the big four. It was the sexy thing in town, you know, the different stock composition track uh, transactions, acquisitions, mergers, all that cool stuff. So that was our niche. But as we went to real estate events as investors to just network with other investors and learn different strategies, 
a lot of people started approaching us and asking us, hey, how are you doing this from a tax perspective? How are you planning that? And just from our own research and learning and courses that we had taken for our own portfolio, we had the answers to these questions. So very quickly, we realized there's a need for this niche. And, uh, you know, a lot of people did want an accountant who could service them as an investor and is an investor themselves. So we don't just bring that accountant only mindset. We also have the investor mindset because, you know, sometimes there's going to be situations where, uh, yes, you want to keep your tax bill as efficient as possible. But, you know, in some situations, it makes more sense to pay the taxes so you can qualify for financing and further scale up the portfolio. So bringing that holistic view. Uh, there was a need in the market and, uh, you know, fast forward five years, here we are. Yeah. You guys have built up a sizable kind of portfolio from what I know and a good client base. Everybody that's my end working with you is generally pretty happy. Yeah. They're happy. They're like, oh my God, I love talking to PV just because he's like, oh yeah, he knows all this stuff and he understands it from a real estate investor's mindset. Right. Like that's, I think really, really key. Right. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like from the entrepreneurial side, you guys kind of just, you know, took it by the horn because you're like, you know what, this is something that I personally am doing. And if I can end up making, you know, money on it, because I'm passionate about it. That's actually, I find the best type of people to work with, right? Yeah, for sure. And that was the key thing. It was, it was yeah. something that we were passionate about, you know, and yeah. um, like a lot of the times when I'm talking to my clients, I enjoy actually hearing about, you know, how their portfolio is going, what kind of, you know, what kind of landlord struggles are they going to? <laughs> yeah. There's always the crappy stories, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You can always relate, you know, oh, my lender came and wants a phase two report at the 11th hour, just yeah. all kinds of, uh, all kinds of stuff you can relate to. Floods, 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 furnace breakings and ACs breaking for me this year. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So like, I find anyone who, you know, if you're listening to this, like PV is a great resource because, you know, kind of where we came from, we all were investors first and we kind of just started expanding our actual business, like your side from the accounting and my side from the real estate, because we're just kind of scratching our own backs. And I find in working with a lot of like professionals um, in the last 10 years in my trading, the ones who are passionate about what they do and also do it for themselves tend to be the best, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you don't want to, you know, take gym and nutrition advice from like a fat trainer, right? And I think that's like anyone who's like, I'm just saying like, like the optics of it don't look good, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, hear, I hear you, man. And again, you know, that passion definitely goes, goes a long way. Yeah. So, so one of the major things, right. That I think everyone always asks me is like, and it always is going to be kind of like, it depends situation to situation. Right. Mm. But I'm going to ask it for you anyways. Um, Should you incorporate before you buy your investment properties? Yes. and no. And from there, when should you incorporate? So that's probably the box of worms we're going to go down for hours. (laughs) You know, you kind of already spoiler alerted the answer there then, but you know what, if your accountant or whoever's advising you doesn't tell you it depends, that's the, that's the wrong answer. So it really does depend because that answer is going to be built on a few different moving puzzle pieces, which you need to fit in and see if, you know, is it the best idea to incorporate right now before that first property or not? So, you know, before we get into what the, ver- what the answer is and what the various pieces are, let's start by going over just some of the straight up facts, right? Yeah. So if you have a corporation and you purchase a rental property and put it in the corporation, corporation uses, uh, earns its rental income and starts generating a positive net income, that net income is going to be subject to the passive investment tax rate, which is 50%. Okay. So uh, I'm going to stop you there just because uh, we got a little bit of technical. I'm going to add in a little fact. So in this scenario, you bought the property in the corporation. 
Yeah. Just so exactly. everyone's following along, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So okay. just, just to clarify, you know, going back to the overall question, should I incorporate before yeah. a property? In the scenario I'm describing, you did, you went ahead, you incorporated, and you purchased your property in the corporation. Yeah. Now, all the net income at the end of the year, you know, after the rent comes in, the property taxes go out, the insurance goes out, mortgage interest goes out, repairs and maintenance, your net profit in that corporation is going to be subject to the passive investment tax rate, which is approximately 50% very much less than ideal right so yeah. you know there's a structure in place that real estate investors use in order to essentially mitigate that and make things more tax efficient which we'll get into in a second yeah. but going back to the initial question is should i incorporate or not right let's say if you personally are making sixty thousand dollars a year and you know you're in a tax bracket that's approximately around you know 32 ish percent that's a lot better than paying 50% in the corporation. In that situation, it would make sense for you to keep that property personally, yeah. right? At least that first one, you could even tack on a few. It really comes down to what your personal income is and whether that's employment income, dividend income, interest income, holistically what that, what that income is. And then if you're now adding net rental income onto there, what effect does that have on your overall taxable income? What tax bracket does that put you into? are the big variables that you need to be considering in this decision. Now, let's say you're already a, a high income earner and you're, and you're above $220,000, right? Once you're at $220,000, above $220,000, you're already in the highest tax bracket now. Every dollar you earn there, you're going to be paying 53 cents in taxes. Yeah, so in that situation, <laughs> it makes sense for you right away to go ahead and incorporate because that incorporation tax rate is going to be lower. And again, you can take advantage of three-tiered structure which we'll get into in a minute as well. So what I, my best advice would be sit down with your accountant and understand, um, you know, what, what kind of properties you're going to be purchasing. Are they going to be ones that are going to be long-term rentals that are going to have cash flow and generate significant income and then factor it and essentially sit down with them and do that calculation. This is my personal income. This is how much is going to be earned by these properties. Is it going to be better for me to utilize a three-tiered structure? or to keep these personally? Yeah, I, I think you've basically answered a lot of questions for a lot of people, but there's a lot of context that people won't understand without actually going through the minutia of like doing it. You know, the thing like, yeah, yeah. like let, let's, so let's, you take off your accountant hat and you, okay. I'll take off my realtor hat, but let's just put our investor hats on, right? Yeah. You know, to answer your question, like depending on how you qualify for these mortgages, that's also going to be another kind of component into whether you incorporate or not as well, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a completely different piece. <laughs> Everything I, I just explained was purely from a tax yeah. alone, right? Like you want to pay the least amount of taxes or be in the most tax efficient perspective. Yeah. That's what I talked about. Yes, now with the corporation, there's a whole different world opened up from a yeah. financing perspective, especially as you grow your portfolio. They look at the assets they look at the corporation's own entity and finance it based on uh, the incomes and uh, revenues that the corporation is generating solely without looking at your personal debts and stuff like that. Unless, of course, you know, I can go into all the intricacies. I know we, we got into it. We'll have right? to bring the mortgage brokers on next time. Yeah, but yeah. Let's keep it to the accounting and investor side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so for sure, then there's definitely situations where you know, it makes sense uh, given your goals, especially if you're going to be purchasing a lot of properties and be, you're going to have the opportunity to get great financing and really scale up your portfolio where it makes sense for you to set up uh, the three tiered structure right yeah. away and, uh, and grow that portfolio. And in the beginning, uh, based on your taxable situation, there could be an instance where, you know, the three tier structure is a little bit more expensive 
versus you had the properties personally. However, you're going to make so much more money purchasing the properties that it's just going to be a cost of business. Oh, of course. Right. And like, I was just trying to explain to this to some like uh, new investors, right? You know, everyone's always concerned about how much taxes they're going to pay, right? But I'm like, if you're making money, you should be yeah. paying taxes, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then uh, yeah, it's always ahead. a thing, right? Sorry, catch up. Go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was going to say, as an accountant, man, you will not believe the amount of times I have these conversations with some of my clients where they're they're just pissed that they have to pay the taxes. And, you know, sometimes they're they're so fed up on the tax portion that like, it's almost deterring them from making the move to make more money. Yes. And I'm like, yes, you you're paying more taxes, my friend, but you're going to make more money. You could just simply not make more money and not pay taxes or, you know, <laughs> earn the revenue and, and break off the government their piece. But yeah, well, I, was it you who told me like um, tax evasion is illegal, but tax optimization is what we're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be me, but that, that, is a, there, that is a very common line. Like, yeah. uh, you know, tax evasion, definitely illegal, but we want to, you know, we have our set of rules and we're going to make sure that we play within those rules and have things as efficient as possible. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why if anyone is going to be like a, a longtime investor and they're going to do this, maybe replace their income or do this as like a serious side hustle for a while, you really need to talk to an accountant who understands all of this, right? Because uh, while PV understands the you know tax rules and the tax laws, right? If you don't put on your investor hat to kind of figure out how you're going to buy more properties, being tax optimized isn't necessarily the best thing, right? Right. Like I always tell people like, look, there's four components to like the investing side, right? You're four professionals. You got your uh, real estate guy or realtor like me. Then you got the mortgage on the financing. Then you got the accountant like PV and you also got the legal side. And there's no one strategy where it's optimized for all four. Like you got to give and take from all four, right? Exactly. And yeah. you know, the key example that we're talking about now is very often you'll have to give on the tax side and pay more taxes <laughs> in order to get those other acquisitions through. And then long-term, right? Real estate's a long-term game. You're, you're going to be laughing at the amount of taxes that you paid compared yeah. to the, the revenues that you earned. Yeah, I think the big thing for most people, like they think really far out, um, but then they don't realize the cost to set up, say like this three-tiered corporate structure we'll talk about a little bit after. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, if you're going to do this for a long time and you hold multiple properties for like five, 10 years, like the tiered structure is fantastic. It, it really is. But sometimes yes. you just don't, see the gains of it right away until your portfolio gets bigger, right? Because sometimes yeah. you're like, why am I reporting zero on this for no reason? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for sure. And yeah, it, yeah it's, and it's important to get those things set up in advance and make sure that you're set up for success because, you know, you want to be proactive versus reactive, you know, when yeah. it's too late and you're, and you come to your accountant and you're scrambling to try to uh, minimize taxes or even get in a position where you can go ahead and acquire more properties. You know, if things are set up correctly from the beginning, you'll have a much easier time. So what PV is low key saying is like, if you talk to him on April 29th or June 29th for taxes, it's, it's too late. It's too late. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so much we can do. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into kind of the tiered structure, right? Yeah. Um, most of our clients are long-term investors, right? Mm -hmm. Buy and hold or burr client clients. And if you hold this thing in a corporation, obviously makes sense, but how would this tiered structure work? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, quickly rewinding to what we had spoken earlier, if you know, you have your properties in a corporation, 
Uh, again, that net rental income is going to be subject to the passive investment tax rate, which is 50%. So what you do with a three-tiered structure now is if you visualize a triangle, right? At the apex of the triangle, we're going to have a holding company. That holding company is going to own the subsidiary companies at the bottom two corners of the triangle. So in the bottom right corner of the triangle, you're going to have what we call the real estate company. This is the company that's going to own all of the real estate. All of the properties are going to go in there. Initial rental income flows through there. And the initial direct property expenses are going to go through there as well. Then on the left corner of the triangle, we're going to have the property management company. Now, with the three-tiered structure now, initially in your real estate company, bottom right corner, all the properties are in there. The rental income goes through. The expenses go out, the direct expenses, right? Repairs and maintenance, property taxes, mortgage interest, et cetera. And now you have your net profit. Yep. The property management company is now going to charge a management fee over to that real estate company and shift a good chunk of that income into the property management company. Now, this is due to, due to the fact that the property management company is responsible for the overall oversight and management of the portfolio from a strategic perspective. It doesn't necessarily have to mean active management because uh, you know a lot of clients get worried that, okay, well, how am I charging a property management fee if... I'm already paying a property manager in the real yep, estate yep. company. Common question. Is, yep. <laughs> yeah. So this is a different type of property management fee, right? It's, it's really it's justified by the overall management and strategic management that's required for the properties. You know, you guys are managing the renovations, you're managing acquisitions, underwriting deals, things like that. So that management fee is now charged into the property management company, which is actually inherently an active business in nature. And due to the fact that it's an active business in nature, it's going to have a tax rate of 12.2% on the income that it earns versus the real estate company, given that it's passive income in nature is going to be paying approximately 50% in taxes. Yeah. It's a really big spread, right? So the, if anyone kind of didn't catch the gist of it, you're converting your income that is normally taxed at 50% in the real estate company, right? Mm -hmm. Into a portion that's taxed at 12.5%, which is active. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's a huge amount of tax savings by, uh, you know, leveraging this mechanism. Now, you know, you have that income into the property management company and your long-term plan is you want to continue to have more capital injected into the real estate company, have it continue to grow and purchase more property. So now yeah. the money that's sitting in this property management company, after paying the 12.2% tax, you want that money back into the real estate company so you can further uh, use that capital to purchase and continue acquiring properties. So that's why you have the holding company at the top that owns both of them. Therefore, you can do an intercompany dividend from the property management company up to the holding company because it's owned by that organization. And then the holding company can then intercompany dividend the money back into the real estate corporation. Money's back in there and now you can utilize to go ahead and purchase more real estate. Now, with the structure, the thing you have to consider, and again, that's why for some people, it may not make sense for them to set it up right away. Yeah. A lot of the higher net worth individuals, it definitely does make sense to set it up right away. But the reason is you're going to have to set up three corporations. You're going to have to file an NTR and T2 tax return for each corporation. So there is compliance costs associated with the structure. So usually you, ha you have to look at it as, will the tax savings I'm going to get from using the structure justify the compliance costs that I'm going to be paying for it? Or on the flip end, you know, will the structure allow me to acquire more properties and help me scale up faster so that my portfolio is going to be growing at a, at a good rate versus do I want to focus on the compliance costs, right? So it's a trade-off. 
And, and I think that's the key thing that I'm going to drill into some more, right? Like it's, you got long-term thinkers who are more buy and hold investors and burrs, mm-hmm. right? And then you got people who are just like, oh, you know, I may or may not even like real estate investing. Maybe, you know, they get their first tenant call like, oh my God, this toilet is unclo- it's clogged yeah. at 2 a.m., right? <laughs> right, right. And, and then they're like, okay, I'm done with this, right? So yeah. that's why I always tell like, you got to just try one property first, right? Because yeah. if you're all so focused on optimization of taxes, you lose sight of just acquiring more properties, right? Yeah, exactly. And that, that scalability that, um, you know, the corporate structures and, types of commercial financing uh, oh, yes. okay. offer All right. you is a whole so, different uh, ballgame. Okay, let, let, let's go then. Okay, so here's another yeah. benefit to corporations. Let's yeah. take off your accountant hat and yeah. let's go into an investor hat. Yeah. What are the benefits that you see from the investor side that, uh, as an accountant of the benefits of multiple properties under a corporation? Yeah, for sure. So like the big benefit is again, you know, they treat that corporation as its own entity, which is in- inherently what a corporation is. Yeah. But as long as you have the right type of properties in there. So for example, if all your properties are cash flowing properties and they're earning good income, when they underwrite the mortgage for your corporation, they're going to consider a good chunk. Most lend, depending on who you use, some lenders will use hundred percent of that income. Some of the more conservative ones will still knock it down to 60% or whatever it is. But I find you do have an easier time qualifying for finances because now they're looking at that individual entity and okay, it's generating a whole bunch of cash. They're not concerned about your personal debts anymore. Now, based on the income, coming into this property and sorry into this corporation it can self-sustain and it can qualify in debt service for three four five more properties and again you even show them that the new properties you're going to be purchasing will be cash flowing the you will be utilizing the burst strategy whatever it is and this entity can sustain itself and keep borrowing Right. Yeah. And then another unique thing is too where let's say you're in a situation where some of your properties some of just one that isn't going to cash flow initially until you do the rehab and turn it around. You'll still be able to qualify for it uh, for more properties because you have something called a portfolio loan where mm-hmm. they'll do a blanket mortgage across all of the properties and you know they'll register the charge across and allow you to tap into the equity on those properties to then uh, utilize for that next property and have that go through. And then once you know you go ahead, you do the rehab, turn it around, it's cash flowing, it's been stabilized you can refinance that charge off and have everything free and clear again. So there's more creative options when it comes to uh, the corporate style. Yeah. And so here's one thing I think everyone need to understand because a lot of first time investors out there, oh my God, the interest rate, keep in mind, some of these mortgage products are going to be higher than your 1.5% you're getting right now in mid 2021. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's another thing too, Zen, very similar to the taxes, I guess, you know, <laughs> the mortgage brokers would have the similar ramps to me where, you know, people would tend to get fat, fed up about the interest rate. And it's like, oh, I'm paying 1% higher here, 2% higher, etc. Yeah, yeah. Oftentimes, again, if you're if you're buying the right properties, and they're cash flowing, or uh, they're going to be cash flowing, like you're going to make so much more money on the forced appreciation or on the deal than you are the interest rate. So it's kind of like you're shooting yourself in the foot to save pennies when you could be making dollars with, uh, with some of these interest rates. Oh yeah, for sure. Like the whole thing I tell everyone is like, don't miss the force for the tree, right? Everyone's yeah. so stuck looking at, oh my God, the interest rate. Oh no, my yeah. taxes. I'm like, yo, behind all of this, there's more money to be had, right? Yeah, a ton, exactly. And uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Sometimes, you know, people just need to take a step back and it comes with experience. You know, we tend to zone in a little bit more, but once you do finally see the bigger picture and you've done the one property and, and you get that experience, 
uh, you know, people definitely grow and, and that's where they start building that momentum. Yeah, absolutely. Like even in my instance, right? Like sometimes if we don't want to keep our incomes at high for reporting, I rather take a, you know, 2.56 interest small business loan from one of my banks than to have to report more taxes to qualify for more properties. Right. Yeah. You just got to do that cost analysis. And this is why like experience as an investor is so much more important than just knowing the accounting rules. Yeah, hundred percent. And like, uh, especially with some of the bigger multifamilies that you know, me and my partners are doing now. Like, there's been times where we've played, we've paid some ridiculous broker fees and lender fees, which you know <laughs> seem very expensive. And our lawyer is almost dumbfounded every time, where he's like, "What? How are you guys paying this much? I'm in the wrong profession." However, <laughs> when you when you realize that you're going to make much more money on the deal, and this fee was the difference between you not doing the deal and you doing the deal it's always worth it to pay it and, um, and, and generate that revenue. And it is a hard kind of mindset to get out of, right? You know, like I find a lot of people who aren't into investing they're or like even just like smaller thinking kind of like, you know, uh, people, they're like, I'm more focused on how much money you're making off mm-hmm. me buying this as opposed to I'm like, why don't you focus on how much money you're going to make if you hold this for five years? Yeah, <laughs> it's I, I couldn't agree more, man. Sometimes it, it, it really just takes that click for them to, to see the bigger picture. But and yeah, it, that's and the wrong hard. thing to focus on. And it's very hard until you actually kind of like realize what you are capable of, right? Because mm-hmm. I think in our industry, there's very little of us who actually service investor clients and have investment properties. There's a lot of like, for lack of a better term, like phony fake gurus out there, right? And then they're just like, yeah, yeah, just buy this. It's a good appreciation from like the real estate side, right? right and then right. they come to me, they're like, uh, Zan, I can't even close this. I'm like, oh, wonderful. Okay, here's my guy, you know, talk about yeah. it, right? Yeah. But, but like when you have good experienced like professionals on your side really shouldn't be concerned about how much they're making or how much you're paying like your broker fee. Right. Cause yeah. you know, like I, I, I know who with the broker fees we're talking, we're talking like three, 4% on the mortgage. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, but at the end of the day, if you're going to buy the property and you get your capital back out, right. It's just the cost of doing business. Right. Yep, exactly. And you know, when you're, when you're looking at your deal holistically, factor those fees in. And if you're still going to be at a profitable thing that meets your targeted metrics, why not? Right. Don't let the the fees scare you from making serious money. Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you this question then. If you have a client who has some properties uh, under their personal name and, you know, they want to continue growing the portfolio. So they have some experience and, you know, they're seeing the forest instead of the tree now. Yeah should they incorporate like say like there are two three properties they make like you know okay income as a family over like six figures right like that's generally the target demographic we work with who have like uh borrow money from the primary residents to invest right for sure and is there a plan to continue to purchase properties and scale yeah scale up yeah scale it yeah in that case i would say definitely like you know assuming the income is decent uh the properties are bringing in good income from a tax perspective as well as from just a strategic perspective in order to scale up the portfolio at that point it would make sense for them to incorporate but again you don't incorporate one corporation you incorporate all three and do utilize the three-tiered structure the only yeah go ahead sorry is there an instance where you can just do like uh two corporations like maybe you don't want to do the property management one and like you know put it in later 
Uh, yeah. So if you just wanted to set up the real estate company and have the holding company on top own it, you could do it. The only situation I would recommend that is if you know the properties you're going to be purchasing are going to be negative or break even. So, you know, you're paying 50% tax on $0 or uh, at a break even. So that wouldn't be as big of a concern. And then afterward, become profitable and you do need to have that property management company you could incorporate and set that up afterwards so there are instances where where you could do that the only time you know if i'm putting looking at my investors out there that you can get away with just one corporation would be if you're a flipper if you're just flipping you're not going to be holding properties you could put that those properties in the one corporation Flipping is inherently an active business in nature. It's an active activity. So that one corporation, your profits on your flip, it won't be treated as a capital gain. It'll be treated as active business income. And you're going to be paying the 12.2% tax rate on your net active business income. Yeah, let's go down that. Let's, let's, Let's go down that and explore that a little bit more. So if you incorporate, you buy the property in the property and then uh, it's owned by the corporation. You rehab it, renovate it, and then you sell in the corporation. Yeah. Your profits are now deemed active instead of passive, right? Yeah, exactly. Correct. So, for example, let's let's talk about the nightmare situation where right, you get caught flipping in your personal <laughs> name because when you flip personally is when you get punished the the hardest, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Sierra is after you. They're looking for those people, right? Yeah, they have, yeah. especially with real estate booming. They're looking for a ton of flippers. So. Where you go ahead, you purchase the property, let's say for five hundred thousand dollars. You spent a hundred thousand dollars on rehab. It's worth six hundred. Uh, total cost base is now six hundred thousand. Market goes insane, and now let's say it's worth a million bucks. You sell oh, it. I want to buy in your market. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's worth a million bucks, right? So there's a four hundred thousand dollar gain there. Now, if you had actually bought and held this property, rented it out for a few years, and then sold it, this would be treated as a capital gain and. Of the four hundred thousand, only fifty percent of that, which is two hundred thousand, would get tax would be taxable and get added to your personal tax bracket. Now, if you were, but since this is a flip, you didn't hold it. You went ahead and flipped it. That it's not a capital gain. That entire four hundred thousand dollars is considered active business income. So if you're making a hundred grand a year, your total taxable income just became five hundred thousand dollars. Yep. So you shot right away into the top tax bracket. And after $220,000, you're paying 53 cents on the dollar, which is, which is brutal. It's and really we're using big numbers. Even if we're talking smaller, like say you made a hundred grand in capital gain, you just now added a hundred thousand dollars to your taxable income and it shot you up into the higher brackets versus if you were in a flipping company, that same entire amount would be treated as active business income. So the treatment would be the same. However, the tax rate for the active business income is going to be 12.2% no. versus on your personal side, the brackets are jumping. Now, another thing I should mention with active business income is it's gonna be 12.2% up to the first 500,000. Once you pass $500,000 in active business income, it's 26.5% going forward. That's a first row top 1% kind of problem to have. Yeah, <laughs> something, something people should be aware of. Uh, you know, I know, I know there's some crazy flippers out there. So. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, for sure. But like, it, it, it's a good, attribute for people to under sorry uh, the corporation is a good thing for them to understand because mm-hmm. anyone who does a flip right away and they're like oh you know um i'm gonna go in here and flip sell it and say i'm gonna live in it for a little bit you know how they like they stay for like nine months to a year are they yeah. gonna get away with it 
Uh, that, that it comes down to the CRA's discretion, then. Like, it really comes yeah. to the narrative. Like, let's say they actually live in it and, you know, they can support that they did so and showed that um, they sold it after one year. There, there's a good chance they can let that go. But, you know, if they're seeing a pattern of this, then that might warrant a deeper dive and, and them to ask more questions and, uh, you know, cause some issues. So it really comes down to the, they may not just bag you on the one time thing, but they look at the holistic picture as well. Yeah. I, I know two people that got audited because they moved three times within five years. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> like, like they and look then, actually legit moves though. They're actually good. legit moves. Okay. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. And then that's, like I said, there's even cases on the flip end where you bought, you purchased it and you actually had to leave after four months. Like, you know, you were working from home and now pandemic slowing down and they're deciding that you have to come back to work. So you decided to sell the property within less than a year and you still want to claim this principal residence, like presenting those facts to the CRA, there's a really good chance they will let you have the principal residence. So uh, a lot of these things do come down to circumstance and the proof that you can have to back it up. So, so even if you're doing say one flip, based on, you know, the amount of tax savings you have, right? So that $400,000 in your example, you're taxed at 12.5%. It makes sense to even just incorporate for one flip. Yeah, it would, especially if you're going to be like, depending on if your personal income is high or not, like if you had $0 in income and, you know, the flip was going to make you under $100,000, it's still profitable. It's still, you're still going to come ahead with the 12.2% tax rate. The, uh, the only other advantage is something we should probably talk about is once you've paid these taxes in the corporation, that money is the corporation's. If you were to then draw it from the corporation personally, you still have to pay taxes. So going back to that $0 situation. Thank you for explaining it. That's my next question. <laughs> yeah, if the guy was to only need like 40K of the profits that he made, still makes perfect sense to, to use the corporation. But if he was planning on pulling all the money out anyways, then he could have just done it in his personal name. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the misconceptions when I talk to a lot of my like uh, friends who aren't in the call it real estate or entrepreneurial space, they're just like, you have so many corporations, you must not pay any tax. I'm like, I don't think you understand. Like yeah. corporations are tax deferral. I still yeah. pay taxes. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's, it's kind of like, you know, sometimes I, I'm able to relate to people by telling them it's kind of like your RRSP, you know, yes. you're, putting your, you're putting your money in there, you get the deduction now. But, and now it sits in there, you can't touch it. But one day when you do pull it out, you're going to pay taxes right back on that same money. So that's how the corporation works, especially now. But why it's really advantageous to entrepreneurs like us, it, we're looking to scale and reuse, reinvest that money in the business. So now you're paying only 12.2% tax. You have all that extra money that you would have otherwise lost if you had taken the money personally to use in the corp and, and feed the business. Exactly. And that's, I think, the unfair advantage, I'm going to say, for people who utilize a corporation, because you're using 50, like about 30% of uh, before tax money. I know it's not the proper term, right? But like, you know, after corporate yeah. tax, but like before right, right. personal marginal tax rate, yeah. you actually reinvest that. So when you're talking about like, you know, $100,000 down payments, that's like a 30 grand difference. Yeah, it's exactly. very substantial. It's very substantial. It's, it's huge. It makes a really big difference. And now you have the opportunity to also bracket management yourself. Like, let's say, oh, I, like, I like that term bracket management. Yeah. I want to steal that. <laughs> yeah. Cause now your income is uh, like, let's say your income is purely what you draw from your business, right? Yeah. Your, whether it's flipping real estate agent, et cetera. Now, you know, instead of just pulling out 200 K in one shot and shooting yourself up into the higher brackets and based on your lifestyle and what needs you, 
can manage your brackets, right? So you can look at it and say, okay, for my lifestyle and the cost that I need, even though my corporation just bought, brought in 300K a year, I only need 80K. So you're yeah. going to pull out 80K, you know, get into that second tax bracket and manage things a little better versus uh, like, say, if you weren't incorporated and all that money came to you personally, boom, you shoot into the top bracket and there goes half of it. Yeah, yeah the, the Canadian government will be happy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so, I mean, let's, you know, dig into this a little bit more, right? So now from the investor's perspective, you know, like what if I'm trying to qualify for more mortgages, right? So now I'm reporting more income just so mm -hmm. I can qualify for more mortgages, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. So that's, a, that's another thing we got to look at. We got to look at it and it really depends on the mortgage brokers and lenders that you're working with, right? Like some lenders will take just purely your corporation, which is showing a bunch of income. They'll look at the consistency there and say, okay, this corporation can, can debt service itself. Uh, we don't care if you make $0 personally or if you're making 60, 70K personally, we're fine with that. We're going to use the corporation to qualify for the mortgages. Other lenders, uh, and depending on how much history that your corporation has, will still want to see income on the personal side. So you will have to draw that money personally and pay taxes at the personal rate in order to in order to qualify for those mortgages. So you know that it's very important to have that conversation with your lenders and uh, determine the amount that you need, so you're not pulling out. You need to and still qualify and and not have the portfolio um, run into any. Like challenges of qualifying yeah. for it, right? Yeah. And exactly. like, like we can talk about it briefly right now. And again, neither PV and I are mortgage brokers, right? But like, we've seen this yeah. enough. Like I know mm -hmm. on a corporate side, RBC is the one that does like gross up 35 down, right? And you can buy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. yep. Um, we got yeah. guys for that. We have guys on Scotia that yeah. will use your personal income to qualify into the corporation. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think uh, so. So yeah. recently uh, brought back their retained earnings program too, where they'll take 60% of the retained. I think it's only for, I think it's only for select professionals. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Cause they didn't bring it back for, I'm like, yo, yeah, I'm getting shafted. It's only doctors, dentists, and accountants. What the yes. hell? <laughs> right. Sorry. I forgot. It was my guy was saying, Hey man, you can do this. And I'm like, all right, true. But I, I forgot that it's because yeah. I was an accountant. It's okay. My, my alternative now is a uh, TD small business loan. Right. Okay. Nice. <laughs> so yeah. I think they're doing 20% down um, yeah. two and a half, six percent, but they'll lend you, I think, seven times your gross income or something like that. Okay. Wow. Yeah. It's actually not bad, but like, That's um, crazy. and they don't take a broker fee. So it's kind of like a no B sort of no broker fee, uh, B lender. That's amazing. Yeah. And then that, that was the other thing I was going to say is now, let's say the big five are, are being very anal about, Oh, you need to show this much personal income of or course, we're not going to take income <laughs> on the corp. There's plenty of B lenders who, again, it's going to be more expensive, but you're going to be able to get the deal done with that overall. And you may even save money, right? So let's say we're working with a B lender who's willing to just take the income in the corporation and doesn't require you to show a minimum of, for example, $120,000 and pay all the taxes on that. Yeah. <laughs> it makes sense for you to pay a higher interest rate and pay the higher lender fee in order to have that lender give you the mortgage purely based on the corporation than be forced to draw 120 grand and pay the marginal taxes on that. So exactly. I think when I try to explain this to people, um, I mean, it's experience to understand, right? But when it's new, it's kind of like missing that forest for the tree again, right? Mm -hmm. like if you're paying uh, taxes on 120 grand, what is that? Like 50 grand? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's pretty steep. Yep. Yeah. You're never going to get that back, right? It just goes to the tax. Gone. 
But if you're paying, like, call it eighty thousand dollars in uh, income, but mm-hmm. you're paying, call it, you know, one percent lender fee, which could be, I don't know, like ten grand or something. Yeah. And you pay a higher interest rate at two point five or something. Both those components become, uh, you can expense them as part of the corporation, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So a lot of people just miss that, right? Like you've got to just find the way to get the property and figure out the rest later. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, just make that change in mindset where just because it's more expensive doesn't mean you're going to be worse off. Yeah. I've seen some of the deals, like the um, breakdowns of uh, private deals at like eight, 9% and like 3% lender fee. And then I see what they do on their rehab and the rentals. I'm like, damn, it's pretty good. I'll do that all day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially once you know what you're doing, it's, it's just giving you that opportunity to, have, you know, with a lack for a better word, have unlimited borrowing power, right? If you can keep finding good deals that'll meet, uh, meet their criteria and they've seen your track record as an, as an investor, they'll be willing to give you lend you and also lend out the rehab costs as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're on this like expensing thing. So a lot of people come across this. What's as a person who's borrowing from their house to buy like their first or whatever investment property is it better. And this is a PV accountant question. Okay. Okay. Not PV investor question. Is it better to uh, use a HELOC on the, with the down payment to do the purchase or do you refi your house and then you use that for the down? Right. So uh, both from an purely an accounting perspective, Zen, it ends up being very similar in terms of the treatment. It's just with the HELOC. So both cases, let's say you refinance it or you use the HELOC, you could still write the interest off associated with the funds that you've invested into that property. So let's say you borrow 200 from your HELOC and invest it into a property or you refinance your house and you get 200,000 in cash and you go and invest that, you can still write off the interest in both scenarios. It's just with the refinance, it requires more work to figure out specifically what the interest associated with that is going to be versus with the HELOC, it's very straightforward. It's it's essentially an interest only loan where you're only gonna be getting interest payments made on it and then uh, you're able to do that. Now, from more of a investor slash personal <laughs> finance perspective, it's Again, different. We're like, not giving advice. This is just information we're chatting, okay? Yeah. Nobody yeah, exactly. come after us. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not even going to give a recommendation, but okay, okay. I'm going to say this is what it comes ultimately comes down to is with the HELOC, typically the interest rate is going to be higher, yeah. but you have that flexibility of drawing and paying it back as you need. So let's say you know you were just going to purchase the the one, uh, you were in a borough property. So you drew on the HELOC, purchased it. Uh, you're paying the interest and now the properties, the renovations are done. You've burned it. You've got the 200K back. Boom, you shove it right back into the HELOC and it's good to go. Whereas with the refinance, you've essentially refinanced and remortgaged the entire house. Like you can't just pay it down in one shot once the funds are done. So I would say if you're going to be an investor and you plan on continuously using that money and recycling it into other projects and not repaying that house down, it makes more sense to refinance it because you're going to get the lower interest rates and you're able to uh, utilize those funds for the for your future acquisitions. The only trade-off is now you have to make principal and interest repayments on that new loan versus with the HELOC, it's just going to be interest-only payments. Yeah, and this part is very hard to explain to clients because like with the refi, it's a lower cash flow because mm-hmm. you're paying down principal. But yeah, with yeah. the HELOC, it's higher cash flow. You're not paying down principal. Yeah, exactly. So... <laughs> That's a, that's a big thing you got to consider too. 
Yeah. And that's one of those things where like from experience, you kind of have to line up what the client's strategy and, and goal is to actually give a recommendation. And again, like I'm going to keep harping on this. Like, this is why you need to kind of have someone who actually has investment experience because the actual expertise of whatever the profession is, is not enough because there's so many moving parts when it comes to the real estate, yeah. the mortgage, the accountant and the legal. For sure. Yeah, no, definitely. You got to have that power team. Yeah, because like, you know, uh, when you ask an accountant and then a lawyer uh, whether they should incorporate, no one will give you the same answer. And everyone has a yeah. different uh, component to it. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're looking at it from two different perspectives, too. Like, I'm sure the accountant will focus more on the taxes. The lawyer may look at uh, legal liability or just like corporate structuring. And a lot of lawyers do know a bit about estate planning as well. So oh, there, yeah, there'll be some different uh, perspectives for sure. Okay, let's dig deeper into the estate planning. We got a lot of clients who want to plan stuff to their kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, how, let's, let's talk accountant side first. How do you do yeah. that the most tax efficient way? And then right. from an investor side, if you were to pass on these properties to the kids, how would you do that? Yeah, so it, uh, like it really depends on when you plan on doing it or what kind of involvement you plan on having with the, uh, the kids in the portfolio. For example, like a family trust structure is one of the more popular ones. Yeah. And the reason why is because it gives you a lot of flexibility when it comes to designating beneficiaries and having each one of the beneficiaries paid in income. And eventually you're able to you know, freeze the valuation at a certain point and have all further growth attributed to your to your children from a certain perspective so that it allows for more flexibility from a family trust perspective um i still recommend well i don't want to say user would recommend but a lot of my clients right now currently uh since they're still not too worried about passing and knock on wood, passing yeah. on <laughs> children just yet knock on wood um we have it set up as you know they're the primary owners of their three-tiered structure yeah. and we can use some of the cra's tools with like share for share exchanges to essentially gift shares from the holding company of the three-tiered structure to the children when when the time comes so i think uh i think you still have a lot of flexibility in terms of options so whether you're in the three-tiered structure or if you want to have essentially a family trust own your three-tiered structure and it really comes down to are you going to be paying the kids right now over the years once they hit a reasonable age or are you at a point where you just want to completely gift it to them so the answer is really going to vary based on your personal situation there but those are some of the most common uh, ways to do it so, so are you like assigning like different classes of shares that are dividend with like say voting rights to the kids so that they're like generating income from say the holding company at the top of the three tier? At the three tier, yeah, you can do, you can structure things that way and you can even structure it so that, you know, eventually their shares can be converted into the true uh, ownership preferred shares at the yeah. point where the parents want to to give up the company and have them take over as well. So there's a few different ways to do this. So let's talk about the more morbid stuff. What if someone passes and how do you deal with the probate? With that, so yeah, that it's gonna really come down to how we have things set up. So typically with the probate, I uh, usually I like it, in an ideal situation, you do have a will in place and, yeah. and um, you have a gifting structure set up so that they can be gifted the shares at a certain valuation. Now with probates and yeah, honestly, it's really going to, there's really going to be a lot of moving pieces there that uh, I would say it's more of an in-depth conversation when it, based on your personal situation. 
Yeah. So at the end of this, if anyone is curious about some of the things that PV and I are talking about, I'll put a link to set up a call to for like a consult. Cause like mm -hmm. we said right off the bat, like everything's very um, situational dependent on kind of what your specific needs are, right? Like there really is no kind of blanket answer for everyone, despite what everyone wants. Right. Because yeah. I mean, for lack of a better term, the tax system's overly complicated. <laughs> yeah. For sure. There's always a lot of moving pieces and you got to understand each individual situation's pieces to then give that geared advice. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Like I have yeah. a lot of clients who do a lot of pre-con, right? And I have yeah. a lot of people, I talk them out of pre-con. So if you are financing the down payment on the pre-cons, can you write that off without actually closing on the property if it came from a HELOC? If uh, you're saying to write off the interest yeah. on, the, on the property, yeah. so you won't be able to write it off until the property is actually ready. So actually, this, this, Thank can you. Two, <laughs> this can go two ways then. So in it, let's say if you actually close, close the property, yeah. then you could you would essentially capitalize all of yeah. that interest you incurred to the value of the property. And then every interest, all interest occurred going forward after closing, you can write off. Now, if this is specifically someone who's going to be assignment selling pre-con, they're, they're going to have to, they're not going to be able to write it off until the actual sale happens. But at which point, like you're going to get destroyed on the taxes. Oh yeah. It's nasty. It to, it's like absolutely brutal. The entire thing, similar going back to our flipping conversation, it's treated as a flip. So the entire hundred percent of your gain is considered active business income and it's going to be taxable. And at which point then you can write off your interest costs to date against that active business income. It's insignificant compared to what you're going to be. <laughs> it's absolute pennies compared to how hard you're going to get killed between the income tax on the hundred percent of that income, plus the HST that you're going to be paying on the uh, deposits as well. Oh, that stuff's nasty. A lot of people don't know about it, right? Like you're paying 13% on the amount of deposit you paid. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. 13, yeah. 13% on the yeah. amount of deposit. You, it's, it gets rough. Yeah, a lot like, of people like, come up to me and they're like, "Hey, I'm thinking about investing in precon." I always ask them, "Like, what's your end strategy?" They're like, "Oh, I'm gonna sell it." I'm like, "I'm like, without getting into the complicated things, like, you realize the only people that make money are the realtors who sell you the property." Yeah, yeah. It's the other thing I would say is, yeah, if you're if you're not in a position to close the precon and hold it for at least a year, you're looking at some very, very serious tax consequences. Oh yeah. Now we're talking about that HST for not uh, putting a tenant in or living yourself too, right? In addition to all of that stuff. Yeah. And oh yeah, that's a, that's if you, <laughs> if you leave it vacant, that's it. That's even worse. I was thinking like close it, actually rent it out, keep it for a year and then uh, and then sell it but yeah you're right if you leave it vacant there's a no whole another tax associated oh, don't forget the vacant tax coming in 2022 yeah. <laughs> that's going to add to it too yeah. yeah so you guys just watch out for the pre-con stuff right like a lot of i, I i've been very anti-pre-con lately and it's just yeah. like people we still push like when i say us i mean like us realtors are still pushing pre-con like crazy because mm -hmm. they pay well right but i'm just like right. i don't think it makes any sense anymore right now it's very difficult unless like you got too much money. You just got to put it somewhere against inflation. Yeah. I think like for the most, I agree with you. I think the only type of investor that it makes sense for is someone that really wants to be like purely hands off and is okay with a subpar return until a very long time. Yeah. That's yeah exactly. where, you know, at least before back in the day, if let's say, you know, the square foot price in Toronto was uh, a thousand of thousand bucks per square feet they would sell it to you at a thousand bucks a square feet then when it's ready three years later it would have appreciated but now we're seeing 
they're forecasting what the future valuation is going to be. So they're going to say, okay, even though it's a thousand square feet right now, by the time this is done, it's going to be 1400 per square foot in Toronto. Pay me 1400 today, three years in advance. Yeah. So there's like a valuation risk there as well when it comes to your mortgage appraisal coming in. Oh yeah. People don't think about it. Cause like if that thing gets underappraised, you are so underwater. Yeah. You're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So like, you know, you know, I, where this all stemmed from, it's like the rumor mill, how like, I think it was back in 2014, we were buying pre-cons with like 5% down, you know, like the remaining inventory from the builders. They're like, yeah. here, just take it. You know, it takes two, three years and then 5%. Yeah. And you can only pay 13% of the 5%. And then yeah. the thing got delayed and then wasn't ready to like 2018. And then we had like a condo boom of like 30%. They'd be like, oh, I paid 20 grand. I made $140,000. And it was like, oh, I need to assign. I'm like, that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, those, those opportunities are, are definitely seem to be gone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. So why don't you tell us if you're okay sharing, like, what are you doing from the investor side? No, because you are obviously most pervy to all the people's numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so you so, have an inside track on who's doing well and who isn't. Oh, man, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, uh, you know, me and my, my team personally, Zen, the four of us, we have a corporation called Foundation Capital Holdings, where we go and we're essentially burring multifamily apartment buildings. So, you know, did a lot of the single family duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, et cetera. The burr strategy. Now, the fundamentals are the same. There's a few, you know, different intricacies that you have to understand when it comes to financing or even something like the phase ones, the phase twos, et cetera. Oh, the environmentals are nasty, man. Yeah, yeah. But for the most part, the fundamentals are the same. Now you're just doing it on a bigger scale. And uh, the name of the game is getting tenant turnover. So essentially what I'm doing from the investment side is we're buying these bigger apartment buildings going in. And the key thing with these, with these apartment buildings is the valuation is not driven by the comparables. It's driven by the net operating income of the building. So you got to go. Yeah, exactly. You got to go in there, turn over the lower paying rents, renovate the units, make them nicer, have them come in at higher rents, increase the net operating income of the building, which is now going to increase the valuation. And then you refinance at the new valuation and you burn the money out. So that's what we've been uh, doing and scaling pretty, pretty aggressively this past two years. Yeah, we did that with like a lot of when I was in commercial real estate back, we do that for a lot of clients. And mm -hmm. when you understand the cap rate of increasing $100 a month in rent relative yeah. to like a three or four cap, you're like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy, like, especially based on the cap rates, like you said, like for us, there was instances where, you know, we used to have some of the buildings had general coin laundries in, oh, yeah. uh, in the general space. But we realized if we actually spend the extra, you know, $6,000 per unit to put stackable laundry inside each unit, and therefore now we can increase the rent by 150 bucks, like the net impact that's going to so have on the valuation is crazy compared to the 6K per unit that we're spending. Yeah, yeah exa exactly. Like you're obviously putting more money into it. And, and you know, it's a very effective strategy to take money and earn money and like use other people's money, but it is a more advanced strategy right like you really have to know what you're doing because one you have to understand kind of the mortgage side the accounting mm -hmm. side you have to actually find these apartment buildings because no one's yeah. getting rid of them you're door knocking at everybody trying yeah, to find yeah. old listings to get people to sell it to you let them double yeah. end the thing right yeah i've known yeah. Gone down the whole rabbit hole with it yeah for sure yeah there's a, there's just a completely different thing like going on market uh doesn't always do the job when it comes specifically to some of these big ones so yeah you're right yeah. But like, I, I've, I've seen, um, some clients do it too. And like, it, it's very, it's very 
like if you understand it, it's quite easy because like the general thing is like, you know, laminate floors, you know, laminate countertops that look like stone, put some pot lights yeah. in, you know, yeah. cut up some more rooms, cash for yeah. keys, get them out, increase the yeah. rent, double the value. And then now you're basically like refining and getting paid like a few hundred grand, right? Yeah, exactly. You're doing the same thing just on a, on a bigger scale. So, you know, you're diverting your attention to a bigger project at once versus, you know, doing the same thing in, in a smaller scale. Yeah. But how long are you guys taking to turn over these things? I'd imagine it's got to be almost like one or two years to actually yeah. get the money out, right? Exactly. So it's funny that like initially with some of these uh, bigger ones, like we, one of our first, our first one we did was a 17 unit. So per That's our... Good. Our pro forma, we were expecting it to take almost two and a half years to do it. And we thought that was aggressive. Uh, for, that one worked out really well. We were able to get it turned over in like eight months, actually. I guess it's sometimes you just get lucky, right? The tenants were willing to just take the cash and go kind of thing. And we were able to get that one turned over in eight months. Whereas on the other one, you know, the very next one we did, which was a 14 unit, took uh, we're two years in and still we've only gotten 50% of the turnovers, got a few more coming. So we usually set like a, three to five year timeline for each one of these to, yeah. to, to do it. And again, depending on the number of units, it can get uh, even bigger. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. But are you guys refinancing it only when the numbers make sense where you get all your capital plus more out or you kind of just do it yeah. in different phases? Exactly. So for across the board so far, we've had three refinances go through all of them. On, we've one, reached... on one apartment. No, no. On three. Separate. Oh, okay. I'm like, wow, that thing really. No, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. But uh, on three on three separate apartments, and on each one, we made sure that based on the net operating income, that valuation was where we wanted it to be. So we wanted each one to be at at the very least a full burr, if not more, and uh, yeah. that's how it's worked out so far. So from like your team, I imagine you got someone managing boots on the ground, someone acquiring stuff. I'm sure you're managing the books, right? You know, your yeah, value yeah. Add to the company. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so actually me and uh, me and my partner in the accounting practice, you know, our responsibility is from a, we, you know, we sort of, we handle all things finance. We uh, deal with the money partners and JV partners, private lending, all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. So that's our role. And then we have the, our other two partners who are responsible for acquisitions as well as the management as well. And uh, man, like one of the biggest game changers for us was hiring a full-time property manager to just oh, yeah, manage yeah. all of the buildings versus dealing with the external ones. Like it's been a, it's been a game huge changing. change. But, but you know, now you're going to have to put that into your uh, statement for the NOI, but do you split that property manager yeah. between your three uh, apartments? Yeah. Yeah. So we oh, split yeah. them amongst all of them because she, yeah. she does manage all of them. Yep. Yeah. You, you know what it is? Like when you grow, I think just, kind of like where we are right now, when you grow enough, like it's not about the money you get, it's the quality of life. You know, you just got to hire somebody to make your life better. You can't penny pinch every dollar. Yeah. hundred percent, man. And, and it's funny. We were just talking about this earlier too, where, you know, there was a situation where I took lower rents on one of my properties yeah, because yeah. I knew the tenant profile was just going to be so much more better, which means less headaches versus the ones we're going to pay top of market. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Because like for that hundred dollars in cash flow, if you're investing, if it's going to make or break you, you may want to consider just not investing. Right. Because at yep. the end of the day, like the way I kind of positioned the three ways you get paid in real estate, like cash flow, mortgage pay down and appreciation is cash flow. Like a lot of people, you know, go by the fur or fire move and they try to take the, um, like replace their income with cash flow. It's very right. difficult unless you go into like small apartment buildings or you're recycling your money infinitely. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a full-time job on its own. But yeah. where you're doing this as a side hustle, and there's a difference between like, you know, your mom and pop investors is you make most of your money guaranteed on the mortgage pay down. 
and if there's any appreciation afterwards, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 something that I don't think a lot of people will understand until they've lived it. But like that peace of mind is going to be so much better than just the dollars. Yeah, yeah. It's the the thinking that people say, like, "Oh, Zen, you own so many properties. Like, what happens if your toilet clogs at two a.m.?" Like, like, yo. I'm not driving to wherever my property yeah. is, right? At yeah, 2 p.m. Yeah. I'm like, there's an emergency plumber. I'll pay for it after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, for sure. And that that's how you, that's how you're gonna make it sustainable too. Because if yeah. you're gonna try to penny pinch and manage all of this yourself, you were gonna get burnt out. And the cost of that is gonna be much more significant than the cost of those uh, little expenses that add up. Yeah, absolutely. Because like, I think people forget that investing is like a business, right? Look, so if you're doing all the work, even if it's like minor, you know, $10, $15 an hour kind of work, that's your time. Your yep. time's better off doing, you know, for lack of a better term, like frying the bigger fish, right? You know, yeah, yeah. finding the next property to acquire, talking to JV partners, you know, getting uh, money to get ready for the next purchase, right? That's yeah, where you true. make most of your money, not, you know, fixing toilets and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And trust me. So like having the right people in place to, to help with your, your management and even, you know, do the tasks that are going to allow you to focus on the higher revenue items is very important. Yeah, absolutely. So are you still holding any kind of like single family stuff in your portfolio? I have three just small single families that are, that I'm still holding on to just around the GTA. Yeah. And then otherwise, for the most part, it's the multifamilies out there. Yeah, I, I find most once people get to the multifam stuff, they're like, yeah, I'm not going to go back. It's just like the deal process is so slow. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Like I'll, I'll occasionally still do a flip here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if, it, if it's a good, if I'm able to get it fundamentally at a, at a good value and quickly turn it around, it doesn't require too much management. But uh, otherwise, for the most part, the focus is on the multifamily. Yeah, exactly. I think same thing for us. It's just like, it's not sometimes worth the money to deal with like, uh, renovations if you don't have the expertise for it or like yeah. your guys just aren't ready I mean, you just buy yeah. the property and just hold on to it right yeah exactly yeah 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 so like i mean this is just again if anyone who's listening this is just us kind of like shooting the breeze like don't take this for like advice but we're just yeah. giving you our experience from our professions plus being an investor right yeah for sure and just you know our perspectives that's the thing with real estate. It's uh, it's very simple in concept wise. I oh, like to so say simple, simple but not easy. You know, yes. very yes. simple, but it's not easy. Yeah, and people I find overcomplicated too much. You know, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, what do I need to do X, Y, Z? I'm like, look, man, just get the property and figure it out after. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think another thing is that I have experienced, especially, you know, coming from my parents who were immigrants and like for them, they, they tend to look at houses as like, Oh, it's a house. It's a, it's a much bigger deal to them. Like it needs to be good, livable, et cetera. Whereas for me, I look at homes as like stocks, you know, it's just an asset. Like, even if I couldn't see, touch or feel it, that's fine. It just needs to do what it is meant to do. Oh yeah. It's a totally different mindset you know like um like our parents generation if they bought a house in canada they were paying what 15 17 interest rate mm-hmm, yeah. like 1.5 and people don't realize like if inflation is two percent and you're boring at 1.5 you're automatically gaining 0.5 yeah th- then you know like i'm not going to get all the economical and stuff but like when yeah. you have like a giant hurdle rate of like money being printed at 20 percent a year i'm like yo you're not yeah. making 20 percent increase you're screwed it's scary, man. And and that's why you got, you got, you can't just be keeping the cash in the bank either. You got to be deploying them into, into assets. That's why I asked him like, Hey, uh, what do I do? I'm like, can I buy other things? (laughs) You just got to find a place to like store it because otherwise, like if you're 
I think this is my math that scares me. Like if it's 20% every single year hurdle, right? That means every month I'm like out one point something percent on all my money. I'm like, oh God, I'm itching. It's got to go somewhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly, man. It's, uh, it, you got to put them in assets for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. No, this, this is good. I, I think having a more candid conversation like mm -hmm. about this gives different light into certain things for our, like our clients, right? Because yeah. you, you don't see the full picture until you kind of run through it. And like when I was younger, I'm like, Oh, experience, you know, whatever, getting a job. And now I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh, experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, the experience will save you a lot of the a lot of the headaches, but you got to go through the headaches to get the experience. So it's kind of a circular thing, you know? Yeah, it, you kind of, no, like as an entrepreneur, you kind of have to fail enough times to understand why you shouldn't do it that way to mm -hmm. actually get better. Because I don't know about you, but like, I'm not like the most book smart person but like if i can understand why people have failed or like you know i failed miserably myself like facing the floor kind of thing i'm like yeah i'm not gonna do that again <laughs> right right yeah for sure you just take that experience and learn from it yeah for sure all right people i'm not gonna get too much time but i do have some questions that my clients wanted me to ask you um sure. so if they're kind of looking for an accountant what's the difference between kind of like you as an accountant versus other accountants and how do you differentiate them yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the key thing that I bring as a difference as an accountant is I do have that investor background as well, very experienced real estate investor. So I'll be able to provide that advice, not only from a tax perspective, but holistically as an investor as well. So we can look at things, not just from a tax efficient manner, but from a strategic perspective as well, to make sure that your overall, the move that we're going to make fits in with your overall plan and overall strategy. And, um, you know, we're, we're good on all fronts there. So I think that would be the key piece of uh, um, my key offering that I'd be able to bring to the table versus the other accountants. Yeah. Like I can vouch for that too. Cause like sometimes when I want to do something crazy, I'm like, well, I need an accountant to check if this works. Right. Yeah. But then like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, this accountant needs to be invested to understand why I'm doing it this way too. I'm like, you gotta understand, like, right. I gotta get some more mortgages. I'm like, what's the most I should uh, report before I, you know, get cut off from certain banks and stuff. It, Right. It's a really big difference. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, that, that's for sure. Because that's one. I got another one. This one may be a little bit longer, but this okay. one's interesting. If you're retiring, how do you structure kind of living off your investments, right? From the uh, cap gains, the uh, if you were to sell it or not, or living off of cash flow? Yeah. Uh, how would you structure it? So I, yeah. the number one thing I would need to know is how much money would you need to live to support the lifestyle that you want to have? That being said, once we know that number, depending on what your, how your investments, what vehicles they're currently structured in is going to be a big play. So, you know, going back to our earlier conversation, if you have all of your properties within that three-tiered structure now, and you have a bunch of retained earnings built up within the corporation, you've now retired. Again, now you can do what we call bracket management and slowly take it out over, over the years. So, you know, you've retired now you know, knock on wood, you have another 35 years on the planet, you can slowly draw that money over and manage the brackets. So you're not paying crazy personal taxes. Um, that being said, if you do need to have more, again, if it's around that 100,000 mark, 150,000 mark, you're going to pay more taxes over it. But having your vehicle in having your income in that corporation will give you the opportunity to, to draw it over time and not get hit with it all at once. Yeah, I think um, from my understanding, it, it's kind of like if you somehow, you know, sell some things like properties you don't like and you deleverage, so you pay things off and then mm -hmm. you leave the rest of it inside a corporation of that manner and you just draw what you need for living, right? Because 
I'd imagine most of people's cost of living and their income goes towards servicing some kind of mortgage, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if then, you know, you have a paid off house, then you're just living off of like deferred income bracket management in the corporations that you set right, up, right? right? For sure. And then, you know, the key thing in this is where the asset is owned in the first place. Oh, yes, like, yes, yes, yes. If it's already owned by you personally, then you're, then you're kind of stuck with, uh, you have to, when you sell it, all that income is going to get realized right away. And then you have the after-tax cash to use right away as well. But it, that income will, can get pretty high depending on how much that amount is. So especially if it's already in a corporate structure and you're able to sell it, deleverage, and then now have that retained earnings, you can slowly pay yourself over, over the years and enjoy your retirement. Well, what if you sell something in a corporation and you kind of take the earnings out slowly? Would that work as well? If it's already in the corporation, yeah, 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 exactly. That's what that's what I am saying. Like, oh, if they, I see, and I see. the yeah. assets already in the corporation. That's where you have that flexibility. Versus if it's already personal, then uh, then it's a little tough. Now, it, let's say it's in a personal situation where it's it's already personal. You sell it, you eat the taxes, and now you have all of that cash. Now. You, if you're going to invest that cash into something that's going to then pay you an interest, like for example, let's say you were to lend a secured mortgage or something like that, you can then utilize that that cash and earn that income slowly over time. Depending on how much lending you're going to do, you could do it through a, a corporation as well and have it as like a active lending company and um, slowly draw what you need from the retained earnings as well. For sure. So what PB saying is, you got money to lend him for his multi-res stuff, you know, talking. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Why not? <laughs> that's, uh, that's been a great way that, uh, you know, I myself, we borrow for the company as well, but I also lend a lot of my personal funds too. Oh, it's sure. uh, definitely one of the best passive income ways as well. You need, yes. a, you need to be in everything, right? Real estate, yeah. some private lending, uh, mortgage investment corporations are another popular tool Mix as well. for anyone who is paying attention. Yeah. Yep. Oh, actually, I, I got one thing. <clears throat> you want to hear my hot take about RSPs? I'm not going to get your opinion on that. Yeah. Yeah. Right, go so- for it. If you are paying money into an RSP, right, and you mm-hmm. can't take it out until you're 65 without penalty, mm-hmm. if wouldn't it just be better if you know you're going to make a higher rate of return on real estate to just eat the tax now and put it into real estate? Because you can't do real estate in RSP unless it's like, you know, a MIC or like a, you know, mortgage syndicated kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I completely agree with that. Oh, okay. Like, you know, I, sometimes I go as far as... I, sometimes I go as far as, you know, saying even hotter takes that as a joke, I say RSPs are a scam. No, they are. Oh they're, taking your, they're taking your money and, you know, getting you like two, 3% return on it. And it's just stuck there for the next longest while when you could have been utilized that money, paid the taxes on that contribution and utilize that cash to make even more money with real yeah. estate or lending or any other type of investment. A hundred percent. I think it makes sense of like your um, corporate company kind of matches your salary or sorry, matches your contribution, mm-hmm. like one-to-one, right? Cause yeah. you're getting free money. Yeah. But like exactly. my whole thing and why I think it's a scam is like, when I look at it, I'm like, yo, you're expecting me to make less money when I retire, but I have all this passive income. I ain't making less money. Right. Yeah. I'm like, just yeah. give me my money now. Yeah. And the opportunity cost of yeah. having your cash tied up is just brutal. So yeah, I, I'd go as far as to say it's a scam to, <laughs> to, to just keep the banks a little bit more liquid. <laughs> well, cause the problem is like a lot of people, they, listen to, you know, quote unquote gurus. And they're like, oh yeah, the RSPs are a great idea, but they don't realize like it's a vehicle. Right. And they just leave it in like a guaranteed, uh, like a, was a high interest account, right. For like one or 2%. I'm like, you're losing value. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like 
the only time I would support RSP is if someone's set on using it to, again, get that one-to-one -one contribution or, you know, they just want the deduction for whatever reason, they're confident that their income is going to be lower, yeah. uh, put it in and you can still lend through your RSP and get yeah. a secured yeah. mortgage or something, which will pay you better. But if you're going to be doing the one to 2% thing, like it's, it's just, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. So like at the very least, if you do have RSP, you can at least find kind of like uh, people you can lend the money to. Right. So again, I'm not mm -hmm. pitching you lend money to PV. I'm just saying like, yeah. if he needs money for his <laughs> apartment buildings and he's guaranteeing you a good return, like talk to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. He, he, I'm pretty sure your returns promise will be better than any of the one or 2% of mutual funds. Yeah. Yep. We, yeah, like our last one that we did, we, we, we raised the money for the building completely yeah. through uh, private investors. So secured rsps through olympia trust yeah exactly. 10 olympia, was the yeah. was the interest rate that we were paying and you know that makes sense for us because we're going to burn the building and make more money on the other side and 10 percent is a pretty good return for uh, most people's rsps yeah absolutely i i've thought about that stuff when olympia started i think it was like five or seven years ago it made mm -hmm. total sense because like you, you know you could recycle money everyone wins the investors get a higher rate of return you get an asset and then you guys manage it and you provide your expertise right yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it sounds like you guys have a really good team going on, on with the four guys for sure yeah yeah thanks man appreciate yeah. it because when i looked at it, i'm like yeah i can do this i can do this and then like i opened the brokerage i was like oh my god i can't do this i can't do this i can't do this <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a lot of work, man. It's a lot of work. Yeah. yeah. All right, man. I, I got two more questions. I'm going to be, be um, respectful of your time. So yeah. I got one more where um, marginal uh, cap gains, right? I think mm -hmm. there's uh, a client of mine who was asking if you were to sell something and you gain capital gains tax, it's not even that much, right? Because it's a percentage of a percent. And mm -hmm. I guess let me, let me just verify the question or repeat the question some more. So, like, capital gains tax is 50% of whatever it is you gain but you only pay a percentage of that based on a capital gain marginal rate, right? Right. So with, so with, if you're holding the property personally, yeah. you're going to have your total capital gain, right? Let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars. You're going to pay 50%. You're going to pay tax on 50% of the gain. So only 50% is taxable. So out of the hundred K 50 grand is what's going to be taxable. Now that 50 grand is going to get added to your total taxable income. And depending on whatever marginal rate you fall at, that's the you, what taxes you're going to pay. So yes, you do pay a percentage on the 50% of the total gain. So let's say, let's say you're, let's say you had $0 in income and you made that you made a hundred thousand dollar capital gain. Boom. Your taxable income is now only going to be 50%. Uh, sorry. It's only your taxable gain is going to be 50% of that amount. So 50,000 is your taxable income. Now the first tax bracket, you're paying 15% at the first uh, 45 grand for federally and then like seven percent provincially right so let's yeah. call it 21 percent he's going to pay 21 percent on fifty thousand dollars okay got it. but isn't the um marginal capital gains tax rate different from your actual marginal gains rate like it's lower is it so no so the the capital gains there's like it's going to be added to your overall taxable income they don't hit it with a separate marginal rate like the rate is applied oh. to all the taxable income okay yeah so it, i think that answered their question yeah yeah, yeah. cuz so with, with corporations there's separate tax rates for capital gains and because I, I think the question and i didn't know how to answer it too i was like i think it originated from like a, an ui take home calculator where there's like a mm -hmm. different um line item for marginal capital gains versus marginal tax rate right for canadian taxes yeah for canadian taxes. I know in the states they have it a uh, different thing and it was for personal 
Yeah, yeah, so personal. That's why I was in really yeah. short. Okay, let me let me it's ask PV. Yeah, no. For, so typically, it's just added into your taxable income and applied at the at the same tax rate. Okay. Well, uh, you know who you are if you ask a question. You know, you can you watch this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, PV. Thank you so much for your time. Anything you want to leave off yeah. of all the people who are listening, watching, or whatever. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, a lot of the things that we spoke about today, you know, guys don't get too focused on the tax dollar amounts or the interest costs, lender fees and things like that when it comes to real estate investing, like take a step back and look at that bigger picture. And, you know, if you're in a position where your deal is going to pay you more long term, um, those you got to treat those costs as cost of businesses and, um, you know, go out there and get those deals done. Yeah, I absolutely. Can't have said it better myself. So if anyone wants to reach out to you, what's the best way? Yeah, so you can reach out to us through our website, galleoncpa.ca. And then there's a contact us box, which um, you can fill out and someone from our team will reach out to you for next steps. And then if you're interested in booking a consultation, then there's that link you can share with them as well. Yeah, so I'll send, I'll put the link in the video and the podcast for anyone who wants to talk to PV about um, kind of some of these things. It, like I will say it has been, it, it's hard to get a good accountant, right? So I will brace everyone saying good advice costs money. <laughs> I will say that, right? Because <laughs> yeah. I know there's a lot of people who are like, hey, Zen, can I talk to your accountant? Can I talk to your accountant? I'm like, well, you should, you know, <laughs> everyone wants free tax advice, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And you know what? They there's also another saying that a good accountant is actually cheap because the amount of money you save or the problems that you uh, are able to dodge end up paying for themselves. I can verify that. Anyone who's yeah. used a you know Uncle Uncle Bob's kind of an accountant and they neglect <laughs> a lot of these things, they get royally screwed in a year or two when they get an yeah. audit. <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah. So don't cheap out. All right, PV, thank you so much Definitely. for your time. I appreciate it. Um, if anyone yeah. has any other further questions, maybe can I book you for a further, further down the line for any other kind of uh, tips to come back on the podcast? Yeah, for sure, man. Love to do it. Cool, man. I'm just, I'm just booking in advance and putting on record. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Sorry, I appreciate it. Okay, we'll chat soon. Cool. No problem. Talk soon. Right, Bye. Bye. So I hope you guys all enjoyed that episode of Prime Prop Studio Podcast with PV. Um, the kind of takeaway home, you know, in talking to him for quite some time is, you know, like we always miss the forest for the tree, right? And you from speaking from experience and doing this a long time uh, from both our perspectives, right? As a realtor and also as an accountant. And keep in mind, the accountants see all the numbers, right? Like we, we know real estate is a long-term game. So you don't want to miss the uh, forest for the tree where you're just so focused on the interest rate or little small things, you know, paying a little bit more for the property. But if you know long-term it's going to work, it's like, it makes sense even if it's a little bit of a hiccup in the beginning. Like we know it's a little bit hard in the beginning because you haven't seen the gains that real estate can provide for you, right? But this is where you've got to lean on kind of those who have the experience to kind of guide you through. It. And that's kind of what we're ultimately hoping to do, right? So when you listen to their conversation, you probably hear, you know, both our passions come through about kind of like, you know, the chaos that is the world and, you know, the crazy stories that we have from investing in real estate. But at the end of the day, like we're here to help you guys. And if you have any questions on like how to invest or even some of the things we go deeper into you can reach me using the link on the screen which is www.chowzen.com or you can reach pv uh, to reach him his link is in the description of the podcast or in the description for the youtube as well okay all right talk to you guys next time see ya bye